Welcome to the Pharma Talk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on targeting TGF beta in immuno-oncology, mechanisms, challenges, and opportunities from the 2021 Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit. For more information about the Immuno-Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Okay, so thank you so much to the um, organizers for inviting me. And um, I want to tell you about some work that's going on at Genentech um, and with my group related to TGF beta in immuno oncology and thinking about whether this is a good target and how best um, to intervene to bring some benefit to patients. So, TGF beta is a highly regulated. Um, pleiotropic cytokine, and it plays multiple pro-tumor roles in advanced cancers. So the cytokine is made initially by cells in a latent form, and it needs to be activated in order to release active cytokine. So um, you can see here that the active cytokine is essentially covered by what we call a straitjacket. So as this latent TGF-beta-1 and this um, LAP molecule needs to be released from the active cytokine in order to get um, proper signaling um, downstream of the TGF-beta receptors. Um, the complexes are um, made by cells and then presented at the cell surface or uh, secreted into the extracellular uh, environment. So you can find the latent complex on the surface of many different cell types. Um, we think often in the uh, immunology field about its presentation on T regulatory cells, but it can also be presented by many other cell types, including myeloid cells, fibroblast endothelial cells, um, and tumor cells. But it can also be released in the extracellular matrix where it sits with these LTBP molecules. Um, and the activation of the molecule requires uh, the activity of either proteases or integrins and once those molecules act on the latent form to release the active cytokine, then it can go out and um, bind to the receptors, which are expressed by a variety of cells. So you can see that this entire system is highly regulated. We don't think about the cytokine being um, in fluids and circulating around the body and acting um, in those environments. We think about it acting in a very um, site-specific context and its signaling is dependent on all of these different steps um, happening in that tissue context. So when the molecule does actively signal into various cell types in advanced cancers, it can promote um, EMT and metastasis. It can promote the survival of tumor initiating cells. We also know it's a very potent immunosuppressive cytokine, and it can also activate um, various stromal compartments, um, fibroblasts, it can promote ECM deposition, and it can also promote angiogenesis. So it's it's doing a lot of things in the tumor, we think, to promote um, cancer growth and also to dampen immunity um, and keep the immune system from um, controlling tumor growth. So there are many, many folks and companies and academics thinking about how to how to block TGF-beta signaling in advanced cancers to bring benefit to patients. And so there are antibodies, um, receptor traps, small molecule inhibitors, and other approaches being taken to, to try to intervene here. And so these are just a few examples, but um, of some of the types of TGF-beta inhibitors that are either in the clinic already or being tested preclinically. And in general, these are um, 
antibodies that neutralize active cytokine, antibodies that stabilize the latent complex, so keeping it from being um, the active cytokine being released from the lab. There are also small molecule inhibitors that prevent this um, receptor from signaling, and there are a number of other approaches um, being developed now. So you can see there's a lot of activity in this space, and we're all waiting um, with bated breath to see how some of these clinical trials work out. So let's just take a step back and talk about the cancer immunity cycle. I know that this has already been introduced by other speakers, but just very briefly, um, in the cancer immunity cycle, we're thinking about a variety of steps um, that are essential for uh, cytotoxic lymphocytes to clear uh, malignant cells. You, know, you have antigen being released by the tumor, picked up by dendritic cells, dendritic cells taking the antigens into the lymph nodes, presenting them therein to uh, circulating T cells, activating them and causing the T cells to leave the lymph node, go back out into circulation, make their way into the tumors, and then upon recognition of their cognate antigen, in the case of a CD8 T cell, being able to kill the malignant cell presenting its cognate antigen. And as this cycle goes around and around multiple times, many times, hopefully, um, this in a perfect world will lead to the clearance of the tumor by, by the adaptive immune system. Now, we know that um, this immune response to cancer is essentially a series of rate limiting steps. And we think that you know, there can be uh, um, mechanisms that are elaborated by the tumor that um, prevent some, probably each of these steps from happening and, and, and unfolding um, perfectly. And so two uh, major steps um, or breaks on the immune system are the PD-1, pdl one pathway, of course, and the CTLA-4 um, pathway. And we've heard a lot about those already. And in, in, in the past, we've thought about the PD-1, pdl one pathway working primarily in tumors and CTLA-4 working primarily in lymph nodes. But, you know, there's more data coming out nowadays suggesting that maybe there's a sh there is the possibility that we didn't fully understand how these were working, that, that perhaps the PD-1, pdl one pathway is working primarily or maybe in addition um, in, in, in secondary lymphoid tissues and in the draining lymph node in particular, and that, that here it's actually functioning to control the expansion of the T-cell compartment, and that possibly the CTLA-4 pathway may be acting both in secondary lymphoid tissues, but also in the tumor to potentially um, influence T-cell responses, perhaps through, through its action on T-regulatory cells. So at, at, at Genentech and, and, and at many other companies and many other um, institutions, we're thinking a lot about why our patients are responding to checkpoint inhibitors, so molecules that block those breaks, so antibodies that block PD-1 or PD-L1 or antibodies that block CTLA-4, for example. So this is just a spider plot showing um, an example of a bladder cancer trial where patients were treated with atezolizumab, so the Roche drug to, that blocks PDL one And you can see that lots of patients are responding well. You can see their tumors are shrinking and exhibiting durable responses, but, but the majority of patients are actually not responding. Their tumors are continuing to grow. And so we're asking, um, what are the mechanisms of resistance for these clinically validated targets? Um, and what can we do about it? Can, can we identify mechanisms that we can then um, block um, and potentially convert non-responders into responders. And for those patients that are responding, can we increase the depth and duration of their responses? So one of the pathways that popped out in our analysis of our trial data, where we were asking these questions, 
um, about mechanisms that might promote resistance to these drugs, which is the TGF-beta pathway. So here you can see on the top, all these purple and green bars, these are genes and pathways that were enriched in patients that were responding well to anti pdl one But down here in gold, this one little bar here, these are the genes and pathways that were enriched in patients that were not responding well to our drug. And one that really stuck out was TGF-beta, but there were a number of other cytokine cytokine receptor interactions that seem to be significant as well, but we won't talk about those today. So one other piece I wanna mention is that we, um, we look at our patient tumors um, histologically and look at them very carefully um, with the microscope and we, we subdivide our tumors, the, the tumors into three bins. So inflamed tumors, many call these hot tumors and desert tumors, many call these cold tumors. So in the inflamed tumors, there's lots of T cells on the premises um, they're actually evenly distributed around the around the tumor. In immune deserts, of course, there are no T cells present at all. But in the immune excluded tumor, there are lots of T cells on the premises. But what's interesting about this histological phenotype is that the T cells are sitting out here in the stroma, and they're not infiltrating the tumor bed very well. So we call these immune excluded, and they represent about 50% of all cancer patients. So the T cells are present, but they're not in the tumor bed, and they appear to be less functional than in an inflamed tumor. And in these immune-excluded tumors, T cells are co-localized with many cell types, but in particular with myofibroblasts, they're cancer-associated fibroblasts, and highly aligned and densely packed matrix architecture. So these are collagen fibers that are made by the cancer-associated fibroblasts. And this is what the T cells are sitting on. They're actually, you can see that they exhibit a polarized um, morphology here, and inter in, through intervital imaging studies, we and others have shown that these cells are actually migrating actively on these fibers, but they're migrating concentrically along the fibers, um, and they're not actually migrating into the tumor very well. We don't fully understand why that is, but we did ask ourselves um, uh, whether treating with a TGF-beta inhibitor might overcome some of those features. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. Before we get there, I wanna mention that, so within our clinical trials um, for patients treated with the tezolizumab, in particular in, in patients that have immune-excluded um, bladder cancer, we could see that um, a gene signature uh, indicative of TGF-beta signaling into the stromal compartment, interestingly, was enriched in patients that were not responding well to our drug. We didn't see this in patients that had inflamed or desert tumors. We saw this relationship only in those tumors that exhibited this type of tumor immune phenotype. And it's in this trial and in our other bladder cancer trials, this represents about 50% of patients. And you can see that patients that have a high signal for this, we call it a fibroblast TGF-beta response gene signature, those patients exhibit reduced survival compared with patients that are de-enriched for this um, gene signature. And we've gone back actually and really studied this gene signature to figure out where it's coming from and what the features are, are of it, how it comes about. And what and we've, we've actually refined this gene signature since that original paper published in 2018. So we've made a gene signature for cancer-associated fibroblasts that we think come about and are activated by TGF-beta. And you can see here that this signature is actually um, enriched in many different human cancers, not just bladder cancer, but not all of them. And with this refined signature, going back to our bladder cancer trials, looking at patients that have these immune excluded tumors, you can see that it, it actually separates the patients even better than our original signature. And the patients that have a high gene signature for cancer associated fibroblasts that are activated by TGF beta and not by other cytokines, um, exhibit significantly reduced survival compared with patients that are de-enriched for the signal. And we know that TGF-beta isoforms um, 
multiple, there are three of them, TGF beta one, two, and three, um, that they're expressed um, across many different um, human cancer types. TGF beta one seems to be the most prominent, but we also see TGF beta two and three um, expressed in these, in these human tumors. So emerging from all of these findings, and I, I'm really going through a lot of, a lot of work very quickly, is, is the hypothesis that Perhaps patients who are not responding well to anti-PDL1 would benefit from an inhibitor of the TGF beta pathway. And we wanted to test this hypothesis um, preclinically. And so we combined a TGF beta inhibitor that's actually a, a blocking antibody that neutralizes all of the active cytokines. So it's a pan-TGF beta inhibitor in this particular study. We combined it with anti-PDL1, and we did this in, a, in multiple tumor models. I'm showing you just the EMT6 model. It's an orthotopic breast cancer model. I'm showing it to you because um, this is a tumor model that does not respond well to anti-PDL1 on its own. And from the get-go, it exhibits an immune-excluded phenotype. So this is just an example of C, um, T cells that are on the premises. They've made their way to the tumor, but they're sitting out here in the stroma in close association with fibroblasts and collagen. And so um, this is just our treatment regimen, but we let our tumors grow out to 150 to 230 cubic millimeters before we begin treatment. And then we treat um, throughout the study. And I will show you some data from our uh, day seven uh, PD readouts and then also efficacy going out to about 50 days. So when we do this therapeutic combination, we can see that tumors go away and they, they never come back. So we're essentially curing the mice of, of this cancer What's most interesting about this data is that anti-PDL1 on its own and TGF-beta on its own does not bring about benefit for these mice. Only in the combination setting do we see these regressions. The regression is dependent on CDA T cells because if we deplete them, then you can see that the, um, the re reduction in tumor burden um, is completely blocked. And when we treat with the combo, but not with single agents in this particular model in these immune excluded tumors, we see that the CD8 T cells are increasing in numbers and exhibiting an activated phenotype. What's also interesting is that we can change the location of these cells. So at baseline, these cells are sitting on the boundary between the tumor and the tissue. This is um, what the, 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 the localization of the T cells that we use to define them as an immune excluded tumor. When we treat with anti-PDL1, the T cell location doesn't change. When we treat with anti-TGF beta, the same we don't, they, they basically stay at the boundary between the normal tissue and the tumor. And out here on the left, this is the outside of the tumor. And then here on the right, this is the core of the tumor. So you can see there are no T cells accumulating in the tumor in single agent setting. But in the combo setting, the T cells start accumulating in the tumor core. You start to see some necrosis and you can see lots of T cells making their way into the parenchyma or the, the eyelid of the tumor here and moving away from the stroma. And this is just um, some, some quantification for total CD3 T cells. So this is true for both CD4 and CD8 T cells. And then this is um, more recent uh, quantification of just CD8 T cells. So you can see the location's not changing with single agent. It's only happening with the combo. There were no obvious changes in the vasculature as far as we could tell. So we don't think that, um, that this is why the T cells are suddenly being able to move into the tumor. It must be because of some other change in the microenvironment. And what's also interesting is if we treat the animals um, with FTY720, a drug that blocks lymphocytes and secondary lymphoid tissues, keeps them from egressing, getting out into the blood, 
We see actually that the therapeutic effect of this combination is largely maintained, although not completely. So across the top here, these are control treated animals. You can see anti-PDL1 in the setting, we see a few um, regressions, but then in the combo, you see that all the animals are actually um, losing their tumors. So the CD8 T cells now are able to clear the tumor. But at the bottom, you can see that um, in the combination where animals have been pre-treated with FTY720, so now we're asking, are the lymphocytes that were already in the tumor capable of promoting this regression? Or did we need infusion of lymphocytes from secondary lymphoid tissues? And it looks like the T cells that were on the premises were are capable of um, promoting the regression, um, although um, it's not quite as strong as in the, um, the control treatment. So it looks like therapeutic effect of this combination treatment is largely retained upon blocking lymphocyte egress from secondary lymphoid tissue, which was a little bit of a surprise to us, but it was interesting. So we're trying to understand much better how this combination is working. And I'll tell you now, we don't have all the answers, but, but one approach that we've um, taken is to, do, to, to generate a high definition atlas at the single cell resolution of the entire tumor ecosystem and to define how it changes during combination treatment. And we've done this not only by single cell RE-seq, but we've also done this by proteomics. Um, we've done this through imaging um, and a number of other approach, um, lipidomics and a number of other approaches. I won't talk about all that data today. But just keep in mind that most of this tumor microenvironment is tumor cells, right? So we also have quite a good number of myeloid cells, some two T cells, and um, fibroblasts are actually really very, very um few in numbers. And when we treat um, the animals, this is just some gene expression data. I just want to mention to you that all the cell compartments are changing. So T cells, CD8 T cells, T regulatory cells, myeloid cells, fibroblasts and tumor cells are affected by this combination treatment, which is here on the right side of all these graphs. But what you can see actually is that interestingly, um, the myeloid compartment, the fibroblast compartment are the most responsive to this combination treatment. That doesn't mean that that's why this is working, but just to say that I think the main message is just that when you give this therapeutic combination, which we know patients are now receiving, every cellular compartment is changing. And I'll just give you a few tidbits on how we think, what, what we think are um, the major changes that are probably leading to um, tumor regression. So the first is that we see an expansion of CD8T memory progenitors. So these two populations here are populations that have high levels of granzyme K, and they also have the highest levels of TCF1. So these populations are actually increasing in the combination setting, but not in the single agent treatments. And what's also happening is there's a population here we call cluster zero. We think this is largely a dysfunctional CD8T cell population. So it's PD1 high, LAG3 high, TIM3 um, negative, actually this should say TIM3 positive, I'm sorry, and this population is actually going away um, with combination treatment. And so we think it's this balance of um, a reduction for whatever reason in these dysfunctional T cells or functionally exhausted CD8 T cells and an increase in the T cells that are exhibiting a, a, a T memory um, phenotype with, with high TCF1. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Amino Oncology 360 Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit io360summit.com. Thank you.